invite you now, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to the first chapter of Philippians, and we'll find ourselves in verses 9 through 11 there. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. While you're doing that, I would remind you that we have uh, these fellowship register pads in the, on the insides of the aisles, and so if you would pass those down the aisles, we'd like to keep track of all of you. Uh, we, we would like you to sign those, especially if you're a, a visitor, uh, that we can be in contact with you and get you some information about St. Andrews, uh, so please fill those out. Well, Philippians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11, let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant word. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's go before him again in prayer, asking for his help. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we understand this morning that we all walk into this sanctuary, and we we come from a number of different places this morning. Some of us this morning are tired worn out from the previous week. And we long to be comforted this morning. We long to be renewed this morning. Others of us come this morning and we are even surprised that we find ourselves in church. Others of us come this morning and we feel as though we have never been closer to you in our lives. And still others come with great doubts and great concerns and even skepticism. And I pray, Father, as we come before your word this morning, that you would work in all of our lives. That no matter where we find ourselves this morning, you would show us this morning that we are far more of a mess than we could have ever imagined. We are far more sinful than we ever thought. And yet I pray that you would help us to see that because of Jesus we are far more loved and accepted than we could have ever dreamed. Father, we pray that you would show us Jesus this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Just the other day I was, uh, I think it was last week, I was reminiscing with someone about uh, the specific time in my life when I was nearly responsible for burning down uh, Weekly County uh, in northwest Tennessee. Uh, this was when I was the campus minister at the University of Tennessee at Martin, and this was years ago, but I got the bright idea that we were going to have a bunch of people over to the house, and uh, we lived pretty far out in the country. We were surrounded by hundreds of acres of farmland, and and I thought, we, we'll do a bonfire, a big bonfire. And so I got all the wood together and built my bonfire, and, uh, and it was my bright idea that I would start this, this time off proper. 
And uh, so I poured a large amount of gasoline onto the, uh, the pile of wood, and um, not diesel, just regular gasoline. And then I proceeded to make this trail of gasoline away from the fire so that I could light that trail and we could watch it burn up to the bonfire. It seemed to me a brilliant idea. And uh, it happened to be a very, very windy evening. And I can remember my wife telling me, I don't think this is a good idea. And, uh, you know, I turned to her with just confidence and I said, oh, it'll be fine. You know, famous last words, right? So, so I lit this little trail of gasoline and everything was fine and we watched it snake along until it got to the pile of wood. And I had poured so much gasoline on that wood that when it got to the pile of wood, there was a, it was a small, but the, there was a mushroom cloud in my backyard. Um, flames shot everywhere. Uh, and then the wind caught it. And it started spreading out to the, the fields behind our house. And um, I could go on and on about this story and the things that were running through my head and the words that um, I, I just, I, we shouldn't go there. But I, I, um, eventually I got water. I had just bought this 100-foot hose, and thankfully I did, because I got water on this fire about five feet from where I would have been unable to do anything about it, and um, and you would have been hearing about me on CNN or Fox News or something like that um, as I burned down Weekly County, but thankfully it didn't get to that point. Well, I, I tell you this little story to make a pretty simple point. You know, if only gasoline were involved in this story, you know, it wouldn't have been that spectacular. If only there was a single match involved, there would really have been nothing to tell, and if there had just been a strong wind, I mean, the story itself wouldn't have been remarkable for any reason. But, as you see, by themselves, these things don't really, don't really matter. But you bring them all together, and then Nathan's having a panic attack in his backyard. And I burned about 1,500 square feet of my backyard that evening. Um, it was amazing. See, you bring them together, and then all of a sudden you have a story to tell. You know, we are um, going through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we're actually still in the introduction. And here in these verses, you see Paul's prayer for these people. And it's a prayer, really, that builds to a climax, if you will, building to the glory and praise of God there in verse 11, you see. But leading up to that climactic point, Paul is praying, really, for three things to come together in the lives of God's people. You could talk about them separately, but that wouldn't really do justice to it. You see, it is their coming together that is really spectacular. It's, the, it's their combination that produces this gospel blaze that leads to the glory and praise of God. And these three things are going to form our three points this morning. Loving, knowing, and changing. You see, Paul is going to say, you are called to love, but it is to be a love that is knowing. And in that love that is knowing, it is to be producing change in the lives of God's people. All of these things coming together. So first, I want you to think with me about what we see here concerning our love. Now, admittedly, uh, these verses, these little verses, this one sentence really, is probably the hardest to preach in the book of Philippians because there really is so much here and it's difficult to hold it all together. But we can easily start with this request that Paul makes 
for their love to be abounding in verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. You know, if we think about it long enough, I think that we would all agree that to love is costly. Real love, I mean the kind of love that the Bible calls us to, it's just simply demanding. The Bible's view of love is that it is primarily an action. And it's an action that involves sacrifice. It's an action that involves us dying to ourselves. You see, when the Bible refers to love, it's, it's not about sentimentalism. And it's really not about a feeling that kind of happens to you and overcomes you. It is an action. And it is costly. And we know this to be true. I mean, for us to die to our own desires, to our own wants, to our own hopes, for someone else, that is costly. It's not easy. To forgive someone when it really hurts is not simple. To be patient with others, to be even patient with what God is doing in our lives, when it feels like we have just given up absolute control, that's not an easy thing to do. To love often costs, costs us. It costs us our energy. It costs us our time. It often costs us our reputation and even our money. You know, we intuitively know that love is demanding. And so I'm convinced that it is our tendency to put limits on love. In this first point, you know, I really want to, this is what my goal for this first point. I, I want you to feel the weight of this call to abound in love more and more. And you feel the weight as you realize that it goes against every instinct of yours. See, I think Paul is praying that our love would abound more and more because it really is our tendency to limit love. We tend to want to limit love, I think, in two primary ways. We want to limit the amount of love and we want to limit the object of love. You know, I could easily argue this, I think, from my, my own experience. But before we get back to Paul's prayer, I want you to see that Jesus himself addresses this tendency in us to limit the love that God calls us to and the object of love or the recipients of that love. Perhaps you remember this story. It comes in Matthew chapter 18 and Peter comes to Jesus. Peter comes to Jesus with this question. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And there Peter's feeling pretty good about himself with that, that response to, to Jesus. Up to seven times? You know, what he's really saying is, when can I stop showing mercy to my brother? When have I reached the limit, he's asking. I mean, that's, that's Peter's main question. But do you remember Jesus' response to Peter? He says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he goes on to tell a parable that illustrates it. In other words, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, I'm telling you, you are to love an infinite amount. Your tendency is to limit the amount of love, but the gospel calls you to abounding love, overflowing love. Well, what about our desire to limit the object of love or the recipients of love? Here's another conversation Jesus had. You'll, you'll remember this. It comes right before Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Someone comes and asks Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? So Jesus turns the tables on him. And he asks this question, you know, he says, well, what is written in the law? And the man answers, love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus told him, you're right. That's exactly what is written in the law. But do you remember the next verse? But this man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And you know what he's asking. He's asking, what's the limit? You know, tell me who. That way I can put together a checklist and I can go through that checklist. You know, just tell me the few people I am responsible for loving and I can get it done. Tell me what are the limits. And here, here's Paul praying that your love and my love would abound more and more. You know, in an interesting way, I think Paul is really praying against the limits that we tend to set on love. That's why he's praying for love to be continually abounding. There is no limit to the amount of love the gospel calls us to. But that's also why there is no object of love mentioned here. I mean, are we supposed to be loving our fellow Christians? Are we supposed to be loving our unbelieving neighbor? Are we supposed to be loving God or who? Yes, all of the above. The gospel calls us to love God. The gospel calls us to love our fellow believers and to love the lost. He is praying here for an overflow of love in our lives without limit. You know, I've noticed with little kids in our house, um, we, st- we started getting really careful with, uh, with liquids. Um, you know, liquids spill. They get all over everything. You invest in these sippy cups with the tops, you know, so that they can drop the cup and it won't go everywhere. I noticed that Jennifer doesn't feed our children soup a lot. Um, and I, I assume that has nothing to do with what they're capable of digesting. I think it's just the fact that it would, get, it would just be a, a total mess. It would get everywhere. My son's not here this morning. He's in the nursery, so I'll pick on him. My, my son loves applesauce. And I hate that my son loves applesauce. (laughs) Because he is able to take that applesauce and he is able to get it to places that it would, you can't even imagine how difficult it would be to get it to those places on purpose. It's that liquidy, I'm sure that's not a word, but it's that liquid substance stuff that gets everywhere. Now, I hope that. That doesn't ruin the point that I'm trying to make, but the picture Paul is painting here in this passage is that your love would be spilling out everywhere in your lives, in all directions, without limit. That there would be an ever-increasing love for God and for others, whoever they are. And I don't think, you know, I do do think that there is a certain element of messiness here. Because because love is so demanding and costly, it is going to be messy. It is going to involve some pain. It is going to involve some risk. It is going to involve some cost and sacrifice. It is going to involve some serious self-forgiveness, forgetfulness to love in this way. You and I need to feel the weight of this call to abound in love. You know, in our Christian circles... I think that we tend to talk a big game when it comes to a discussion of love. But you and I this morning, we need to see our hearts. I mean, we need to see how quickly and naturally we tend to limit love. We need to see how dangerously we rationalize and make excuses for not sacrificially laying down our lives. 
Paul is praying that God's people would be unique. That they would be different in the world. That their love would overflow with abundance to all. No matter the risk. No matter the cost. No matter the loss. Well, secondly... I want to move on from the weight of this call and really to see what this passage says about knowing. And here I want you to see that what this prayer says about knowing is really what sets us free to love like that. You see, it's not simply that you are called to love, but that our love is to be a knowledge and depth of insight. And at first that probably doesn't mean very much to you just to read it like that. But the knowledge that Paul is referring to here is a very specific kind of knowledge. Throughout all of Paul's letters, every time he uses this specific word for knowing or knowledge, it refers to a knowledge of God, a personal, intimate knowledge of God. And depth of insight is really referring to discernment or wisdom. And all that is really referring to is knowing how to live in light of the knowledge of God that we have. It's about practically applying the gospel to our lives. That's what Paul is talking about here. Now, how do we grow in knowledge and depth of insight then? I mean, that seems to be a pretty fair and necessary question for us to answer this morning as we consider its application. And I really do think that the answer is as simple as this. God gave his people a book, and that book is called the Bible. And the Bible is God's self-revelation. In other words, if you and I want to know God, if we want to grow in knowing Him and grow in, in depth of insight, we have to go to the place where He reveals Himself. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a right way to read the Bible. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus is speaking with some of His disciples after His resurrection. And in that conversation, Jesus explained, we are told, he explained the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. That is, Jesus, as he's walking with these disciples of his, explained the entire Old Testament to these people. I mean, that's a pretty good class, walking along the road with Jesus there. And and what it says in that passage, read Luke 24 sometimes, in that passage, Jesus tells his friends that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms were all about him. You see, here's what I'm saying. For you to read the Bible correctly means that you understand that it is a story with but one hero in it. And that hero is Jesus. There is no other. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. You know, I typically do not like reading quotes, but this is one of my favorite quotes that I came across. And I'm going to read it. And I want you to go back in your mind to the very beginning of the Bible and think with me about how the Bible really is all about Jesus. Here we go. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing where he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who is not just offered up by his father, but sacrificed by his father on the mount. 
Well, God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your only son whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say, now we know you love us because you did not withhold your only begotten son from us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true... Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. On and on we could go. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one. Who didn't just risk losing his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. He says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. He's the true and better Jonah who is cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the true priest, the true king, the true bread, the true light. The Bible is about Jesus. If we are to grow in knowledge and depth of insight, in a love that abounds and freely flows, we go to the place where God has revealed himself and shown us his son Jesus. See, what we find there is a story of a God who abounds in love. What we find there is a story of a God who pursued a bunch of rebels with his only son, Jesus. A story of a God who not only calls us to sacrificial love, but a God who sacrificed his only son in our place. You see, it is in light of God's abounding love for us that God then in turn calls us to love aboundingly. I mean, understanding this love is what sets us free to love others. There's a story that I I heard a while ago, and it was about a lady in a particular church. And this lady and her husband had recently become Christians and got involved in this church. And they had been trying for some time to to get pregnant. They wanted to have a child, and they had difficulty in doing so. But finally they got pregnant, and they were going to have a baby. Well, they went to the hospital And they had the baby, and everything went fine. They were rejoicing, except for one thing. When the baby was brought to the nursery, one of the nurses accidentally hooked up the wrong IV with the wrong medicine into their child. And it left this baby irrevocably brain damaged. You know, the pastor of this couple's church, he heard this news, and he knew he had to go. Didn't have any idea what he was going to say to this mother who just found out this news. And he walked into the room and he saw her there cuddling her her newborn with a smile on her face. And he said, you know, I came to see you, but I don't really have any idea of what to say. And she replied to him, we're just fine. He said, what do you mean you're fine? And she said... I can picture someone holding my child up and asking this question. Who wants this child? Who wants this child? And never be able to take care of himself. Never be able to feed himself. Never be able to say thank you. We'll never leave you. 
will only cost you. To which she said, I can see myself jumping up and saying, I want that child. She went on to explain, this is why. She said, because I can picture someone holding me up and saying, who wants this woman? She'll gossip about you. She'll stab you in the back. She'll rebel against you. She'll lie to you. Who wants this woman? And she says, you see, I can, I can picture Jesus standing up and saying, I want that woman. You know, that woman was free to take on costly love because she understood rightly the costly love of Jesus. It was Jesus' love that set her free to that kind of love, that abounding love. You know, there would be something very, very cruel about the Bible if it simply called you, if it simply called you and me to abound in love more and more. We would crumble under the weight of that call by itself. But the Bible says this to us. Love like you have been loved. Show mercy like you have been shown mercy. Show grace like you have been shown grace. The gospel sets you free to lay down your life because Jesus laid down his for you. See, Paul is praying in this passage that our love would abound, but... That love is only set free to abound as it is in knowledge and depth of insight. Only when you see and know the love of Jesus can you stop worrying about yourself. Only when you see and know the love of Jesus can you put aside your self-protective ways and enter into costly love. Well, finally and briefly, we see something in this prayer about change. You know, Paul is praying for love to abound in knowledge So that, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The reason Paul is praying this for the Philippians is so that they will be changed, so that their lives would bear gospel fruit in Jesus, so that as they are loving in knowledge, they would be becoming more like Jesus. Listen to just three sentences from D.A. Carson's commentary. He says this, Christians cannot say, I will improve my prayer life, but not my morality. I will increase in my knowledge of God, but not in my obedience. Or I will grow in my love for others, but not in purity or my knowledge of God. They cannot do it. The Christian life embraces every facet of our existence. See, these three things, loving, knowing, and changing, are to come together in our lives. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ resists all compartmentalization. To grow in love that is a knowledge and depth of insight is to grow in being able to discern what is best in all of life. To begin to know the difference between what is second best and what is best. To begin to know the difference between what is good and what is best. To be unsatisfied in this broken world with the status quo. To reach for purity. To reach for blamelessness and the fruit of righteousness that can only come through Christ Jesus. You know, most of us in this room, I think, know what it feels like to be trapped by ourselves. You know, we see the way that we use other people for our own gain. 
We know what it is to have our priorities all out of whack. It's just another way to talk about idolatry. I mean, we often feel caught by our own sense of shame because we long for purity and we long for blamelessness. But we know that our relationships with God and with others fall so short. You know, at times I think it seems easier to believe the gospel for everyone else. I mean, you know what I mean? To think, well, sure, the gospel can change them. But it, it doesn't seem like there's enough grace left for me. I mean, do you think you are all that different from the Philippians? I mean, Paul loves these people he's writing to. But he has to write to them about their pride and their arrogance and their lack of humility. I mean, Paul, these are a kind people, a generous people, but Paul still has to write to them about their complaining. They are a body of believers, but Paul still has to write to them and say, just get along with each other in Jesus. I mean, all I'm saying is this. Paul knew that the gospel was for everyone who believes. And he prays what he prays for the Philippians because he knows that the gospel can change them. You know, for us to grow in abounding love that is rooted in knowledge and depth of insight, in knowledge of God and the gospel, is to do the very things that produce change in our lives. You know, our passage here talks about being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In the very first psalm, Psalm 1, the writer describes the blessed man. You remember that passage? And you remember how he describes the blessed man. He he says, he is like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. You know, that word that is used there for planted, it's actually a word that means something more like transplanted. The tree was picked up and it was moved and was planted by the stream so that it would bear fruit. Without the nourishing water of that stream, that tree dies and bears no fruit. And my simple encouragement to you this morning is that you would understand that that stream is Jesus. I mean, he calls himself living water. If you and I are to change, if we are going to abound in love for others and God without limit, we have to find ourselves planted by that stream. Soaking up and being nourished by His grace and His mercy. Listen, without Jesus, a call to love and a call to purity breaks us and burdens us. But in Jesus, we find the freedom to abound in love and to be transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We come before you this morning knowing that we are a people who, though we talk much about love, often in experience and practice, know very little about costly, sacrificial love. We pray this morning that you would cause us to enter into the story of the Bible, to see that we fit in the story of the Bible that we have but one hero, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who did lay down His life for us, who knew the cost, who in the garden prayed, Father, if there is any other way, while His sweat poured out like drops of blood, He knew the cost, and yet He went to the cross anyway because of His great love for His people. We pray that you would so enamor us with that picture, that you would so fill us with joy in the sight of the gospel, that we would be a people who long to know you more, that we would be a people who are abounding in love and being changed by the gospel. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.